You're listening to the World of Higher Education podcast, Season 2, Episode 7. Hello, I'm Alex Usher, and this is the World of Higher Education podcast. Back in the beginning, all higher education institutions were either professional schools or ivory towers. Town-gown relations were mostly about who had the right to punish students who went awry and under what conditions landlords could charge students for lodging. The idea of the university as a national asset dates only back about two centuries. And as an industrial partner, it's even more recent than that. Both of those ideas came from Germany. But the idea of a university as an engine of regional or civic growth is a specifically American one, going back to the Morrill Act of 1862 and the creation of land-grant universities, which could use practical education to provide skills to the masses and research specific to local economies. Up here in Canada, a number of universities in our Western provinces were self-consciously built on similar principles. In Europe, the idea of a third mission to accompany teaching and research has been on the rise for several decades, but the concept is not always used in a spatially specific manner. One of the most interesting higher education trends of the past couple of decades has been the increasing frequency with which institutions have tried to justify or promote their activities on grounds of the regional economy or being a regional innovator, or in the past decade, especially regional sustainability in an environmental sense. And there's no doubt that institutions are a boon to their communities because they employ a lot of people on good salaries and because they act as a good local anchor tenant propping up housing prices. But that's not the same thing as saying that what they actually do in their day-to-day activities brings much local benefit. The evidence to back that up is surprisingly thin. Enter the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which has begun trying to quantify the element of local economic promotion, and highlights some interesting examples of spatially-based cooperation between higher education institutions and their local regions. Today, my guest is Raffaele Trapasso, a senior economist at the OECD who heads that organization's platform for the Entrepreneurship, Education, Collaboration, and Engagement Network, or ECOLE. In many respects, I think Raffaele has one of the most interesting vantage points on higher education in the OECD right now. In today's episode, We range over a number of issues, including the role that UN Sustainable Development Goals are playing in focusing collaborations, how best to formalize ties between institutions and communities, and the continuing differences between Europe and America in terms of the pattern of collaboration between institutions and communities. This is one of my favorite topics in higher education right now, and I hope you'll enjoy this conversation too. But enough from me, let's hear from Raffaele. Raffaele, tell us about the Geography of Higher Education Project. What is it, and how did the OECD get into this line of work? Thank you for the question. The Geography of Higher Education emerges from two basic findings. The first is that uh, there are higher education institutions everywhere scattered in most uh, regions of the OECD. And the second is that higher education policy is partially blind, which contrasts with the increasing requests for impact to higher education institutions especially in their own territorial communities. So we are trying to help this connection. And uh, I will also say that the, the work on the geography of our education is gaining momentum because of the increasing interest towards uh, in industrial and innovation policies, which uh, actually embed the spatial dimension. So there is this uh, connection with higher education. The OECD is ideally located to imagine and design innovative policy solutions that cut across different policy areas. 
The directorate where I work is the Center for Entrepreneurship, uh, SMEs, regions, and cities, and tries to connect different policy domains with the aim of organizing policy actions by challenges rather than sectors. So it is exactly reflecting what the geography of our education is doing, connecting the higher education policy agenda with that of regional development, with that of industrial policy, and with that of innovation, of course. Now, within the geography of higher education project, there's a more specific offshoot. That's the ECOLE, the Entrepreneurship Education Collaboration and Engagement Network. And that's the project you're connected with. It's the project you'll be leading a roundtable on here in Toronto at the, the end of November. What's the specific mission of this network within the Geography of Higher Education project? Thank you. It's actually a call that encompasses the Geography of Higher Education. The story goes that we were working on two different strands of, uh, of activities. One was uh, the Geography of Higher Education and the other was uh, more on entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial skills, entrepreneurial education. And soon we realized that the two were strongly connected and that you can call the geography of our education, basically entrepreneurial ecosystems. So we decided to operate, operate these, these activities into a, a single uh, platform that is ECOL. Now, ECOL aims to leverage uh, on uh, entrepreneurial higher education institutions to promote regional development, innovation, and sustainability. So we aim to create policy synergies starting from higher education policy. Because we can speak different policy languages, we want to create these complementarities. Interesting. So I want to talk about how collaboration and engagement between universities and communities actually works in the real world. I mean, specifically around issues around regional development and sustainability. Because it seems to me that, I mean, in North America, at least, I can't speak as closely to Europe is that community engagement and collaboration is usually driven from the bottom up within universities, that it's individual researchers who go out and find ways to collaborate rather than the university as an institution going out and making the connection, right? That more top-down side. In the kind of work that you look at, who's doing the engagement for the university side? Is it the individual or is it the institution? And maybe a better question is, does it matter who at the institution is doing it? Yeah. It actually does, I think, because it is true. This is a common pattern that we have observed everywhere in OECD where we have worked. The idea of engagement and collaboration is often an individual endeavor. And this is partly because of the freedom that academics enjoy. Some higher education institutions have developed, of course, more activities. But it's difficult to find, it's rare to find higher education institutions that are able to engage and collaborate on an institutional basis. The problem that I have with the individual engagement versus the institutional one is continuity, capabilities, trust building. You know, it's it, it often the case that a researcher can have some funds that finance a specific process for project for collaboration. And then for a couple of years, she or he is able to accompany a community. And then he ghosts or she goes out when the, the funds is over. And this uh, is a problem because negatively affected the trust of the people towards the institution, not only the individual. So it hampers the possibility to generate collaborations over the long term. I don't know if we 
can follow up to this question because there is a, a kind of a contradiction that I can s see throughout the, the, the international experiences that we have done. Since there is this request for more collaboration, but the focus is always on research and excellent research. And this mm. is a, a weird idiosyncrasy, if you want. Well, let me ask you the question that apart from, so that is an interesting point because it suggests that the universities want to lead the collaboration and that the research is the important thing because that's an important outcome to them. That's not necessarily the important outcome to the community, is it? It's nice, but it's not necessarily what they're looking for. So are you suggesting maybe that there's an imbalance here that universities want this collaboration more than the regions do? No, I wouldn't say that in the sense that I think that universities are naturally, you know, they naturally prefer probably teaching and research, uh, if I have to, to say that. But uh, mm -hmm. it is true that there is an increasing pressure for societal value. There's public scrutiny actually about the capacity of higher education institutions to produce a, a societal value. And on the other hand, as I said, the focus is on research. So there is a bit of disconnect in the, in the agenda. What is true is that uh, collaboration activities can be done and implemented through teaching activities, through research activities, and, to, and, and of course, uh, through collaboration. But it, it is important that the university develops as capabilities that has a leadership that engages with the agenda of collaboration, that some incentives are put on the table. Otherwise, it's, it's, as I said uh, before, it is difficult to have uh, a meaningful relationship with, with external stakeholders. Got it. But you've looked at different patterns of university community engagement around the world, like the different things, the subjects that the collaborations are organized around or the roles of the different participants. Are there a handful of distinct types of collaboration you see around the world? Are there some kinds of engagement that are more common than others? Well, I mean, the, the agenda of collaboration is uh, a dynamic one since uh, it evolves over time. You know, the, at the beginning, there was uh, technology transfer. And so it was mm -hmm. patent, and the idea was to put a patent on the border of the fences of the higher education institution, and someone from the business community was going to collect that, and, and, and that's it. Then uh, when innovation and uh, collaboration became more complex and more elaborate, then uh, we started to see the spin-off, the startups, this uh, increasing idea of entrepreneurship that in any case influenced also the collaboration agenda because entrepreneurship education and entrepreneurial activities make the, you know, the high education institutions a bit more osmotic, you know, porous with their external communities. And then there is also, you know, an interesting pattern that emer is emerging about SDGs. The UN Sustainable Development Goals are another interesting platform that is facilitating collaboration between uh, higher education institutions and uh, other stakeholders. But again, one important variable is space, is communities, because uh, I think that, uh, and this is probably more visible in, uh, in North America, no? when you discuss with land grant or also in Canada with the Université du Québec, mm -hmm. you know, there is a clear mission to help communities 
or you know surrounding communities while the idea of the third mission in Europe promotes a collaboration that the university like to think uh, is global or is international, but dilute a bit the interaction with the surrounding community. At least this is the, the idea that I would, I would suggest. That's interesting. So I, I'd noted a couple of times when we were in a meeting in New York together uh, a few months ago, and it did strike me that there were some pretty clear differences between the way North American participants conceptualized community and who it was they were supposed to be speaking with and the European one. I'm intrigued. I mean, is the notion of tech transfer and outreach that comes from a mixture of the, the Morrill Acts in the 1860s and the Bay Dole Act in the 70s and 80s in the United States, how different is that from the third mission? I mean, that's a term you hear a lot in Europe and you don't hear it in North America. Is it just a spatial difference that, that the third mission is not necessarily rooted to a particular region in Europe, or is there something deeper there too about the way they think about their, their responsibility to the external community? But I would say that there is already, you know, first of all, it is it's already important that to have the third mission there, because as I said, there is teaching, research and collaboration. Now, there is a certain cultural evolution in that, because in countries like Sweden, for instance, they really don't like the, the word third mission. They actually prefer social engagement or social value. And there is also, you know, and this helps them to have, uh, I think, better cooperation with the communities. The third mission in general is, uh, as I said, is, is considered to be a global playground, international playground, at least for from many universities. And this could be a problem. And then there is also a semantic issue, if you want, because the third mission comes after the first and the second. So no. <laughs> is uh, a bit marginal compared to the others. And this is another problem. Now, for instance, with Italy, we have a project now with them and uh, there is the research of a desperate research of another wording. You know, and uh, the Italian are considering a knowledge exchange and collaboration, societal impact. Uh, in the UK, they prefer now this concept of the civic university rather than third mission. So uh, this is a trend that uh, I, I can see uh, uh, everywhere. And I think that uh, will deliver something. It will deliver a better capacity to connect with communities. Perfect. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Higher Education Strategy Associates, a sector-specific consultancy based in Toronto, Canada. Among our many lines of work is program review and new program development. Looking to refresh some of your curricular options? Higher Education Strategy Associates can help with market research, evaluation of employer needs, competition analysis, and national and global reviews of curriculum trends by study field. Get in touch to find out how your institution can benefit. Email us at info at higheredstrategy.com. And we're back with Raffaele Trapasso. Raffaele, we've been talking for the most part about universities, but you know it takes two to tango, right? If you're going to have engagement, there needs to be someone on the other side of the table. Who is sitting on the other side of the table, particularly when it comes to regional engagement and sustainable development? Who are the partners 
that institutions choose? And is it different in North America than Europe? It might be different in the sense that uh, there are places in Europe in which, you know, let's think about communities, for instance. So we were on a field visit uh, in England and Wales uh, a few days ago. And there, as I said, there is this strong agenda for cooperation. There is the civic university. But uh, this idea of cooperation is kindly of negatively affected by the reform of the multi-level governance system that is happening in the UK because uh, uh, they are changing the structure of city regions. So universities in this moment are dancing. Uh, I, I don't want to say they are dancing alone, but uh, it is difficult for them to understand with whom they should, they should dance. So, you know, this is a, an interesting question also because uh, it, it is not a linear one in the sense of business, of course, it can be a partner for universities, but it's a partner that is uh, sometimes difficult to handle because uh, universities uh, do, not, do not like to cooperate with SMEs, although it, it would be very important because uh, it, it is uh, complicated. There is no institutional capacity on the other side. On the other hand, Large companies cooperate with universities mostly for talent, you know, to absorb talent. So it, 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 it is not a big achievement. So the, I would say that the ideal collaboration would be not a tango, but uh, a group ballet in which, uh, you know, there is several stakeholders and uh, above all, the universities are not the center of the ecosystem, are part of the dancing crew. And so they understand that to cooperate, they have also to develop uh, capabilities, you know, open doors, uh, accept to get a bit dirty. So it is, it is an interesting, an interesting argument, but is complex. And as I said, there are several factors uh, contributing to this complexity, including the governance, the, the productive sector in the ecosystem the way in which the region or the subnational level is organized, uh, complexity. Yeah. So I guess the problem with complexity is that then the institutional capacity to deal with that complexity becomes a pretty key factor in whether or not they can, you know, work productively with the regional ecosystem. So the size of the institution is the most obvious one. I mean, big institutions are going to have more resources to throw at collaboration than small ones. Do you think there are specific steps that universities can take to raise their capacity for external collaboration? Yes, actually I do in the sense that uh, there are several examples uh, that we saw. First of all, you are right. Size is important, but leadership is important. And also in some cases, you know, the will of cooperation is the most important thing in the sense we have seen this, the, the very good uh, practice of uh, a relatively small university in Sweden that is casted in Varmland. And they, because of the capacity of collaboration between the regional government and the university, they created an academy for smart specialization, which is within the university, is like a department of a university and is uh, engineered to plug into the smart specialization of the region and to generate knowledge products for that smart specialization and to support talent, you know, creation for the development policy of the, of the region. 
But there is also other solutions that are eclectic in the sense that, for instance, the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center in the U.S., some of them are within universities. They give access to SMEs and entrepreneurs to the resources and the research capabilities of universities, but they are not uh, necessarily academic um, you know, people. So it, it is um, an infrastructure that is filling the, the gap. And this infrastructure is uh, on the blurred border of academia, uh, which is interesting because then you can fill this gap with the resources that belong to other policies, but that connect well with higher education institution and policy. And on the flip side, what happens when the university's ability, desire to collaborate exceeds that of the community's desire to absorb knowledge? Like I can see that in a lot of small and medium-sized towns, you know, depending on the pattern of local industry, maybe politics or ideology. I don't know. Sometimes the receptor capacity of a community is very low. What is a university supposed to do, you know, when the talents of its staff on things like research and sustainable development and those kinds of things exceed the capacity of the community to accept it. Yeah, that's a key point and helps me to clarify a fundamental issue. Uh, we don't want to transform universities in regional development agencies. We, we think this is not the, their uh, work. Uh, we, for instance, we, when we discuss about the capacity of university to interact with their communities, we prefer to use place responsiveness in, instead of place-based approach, you know, because uh, we recognize that it's important to have a, 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 an international dimension. And the other point is that ECOL is not a network of universities. We, we prefer to use the word higher education institutions to clarify that we are also considering like the ISCAD 5 level institutions, so the community colleges, the post-secondary institutions that uh, are perhaps uh, better when you are a rural, small uh, community because, because of capacity, because of the ecosystem, because of the immediate need of skills. But e even in that case, you know, when you are a community college and you are designed actually to respond to the needs of, of your productive sector, if the productive sector cannot identify the, 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 the skills needs because of uh, you are acting in an impoverished re region, for, for instance, of the, in the south of Italy, where I, where I come from, then it, it would be too much to ask to that community college to identify the skills and the, the demand and the supply of skills at, at the same time. So we need to be realistic. Th there are some uh, limits to our approach. Our approach can support better regional development, better innovation policies that have spatial lenses, but ECOL cannot solve all, all of the problems of the interactions between higher education institutions and, and, and communities. So let me ask you, so you've got some really interesting examples there. What's the bottleneck to creating more of those? What would it take to see more of those kinds of engagement, kinds of relationships to, to produce them at scale across the OECD? Well, I think that a first important point is to reduce uh, idiosyncrasies uh, in the sense that, or, or if you want, uh, uh, simply to increase complementarities. Because uh, as I said before, 
there is a push towards uh, uh, this idea of engagement with uh, a desirable value generated by higher education institutions and at the same time all the indicators to evaluate them uh, you know it's all based on excellent research that can create the dichotomies in the agenda of higher education institutions so already removing or at least clarifying these contradictions would be useful then uh, it is it might be possible in some cases to generate you know more organizational capacity to generate uh, incentives career opportunities uh, professor of practice you know institutions and in careers that facilitate the the cooperation of universities but again it's not the only solution as i said with the sbdc there is the possibility also to put in the academic community some extra people with specific skills the important is that they understand each other that they all speak the same language in order to have an homogeneous community and then perhaps and i again i repeat myself but a promising tool is this idea of the sustainable development goals of the un because they offer plain language to different people different stakeholders kpis so it's a metric indicators of result so it is possible to use also new tools to facilitate the collaboration agenda between higher education institutions and their territories but the most important thing is the political will and the you know the knowledge that as gramsci the italian philosopher would say the old is dying and the new struggle to be born now oh, we should recognize that we live very difficult times and so universities could play a role helping the transition generating leadership including at the community level and help us to look after each other i want to to think in this way well that's all the time we have for today rafaele thank you very much for joining us thank you thank you very much for inviting me and it just remains for me to thank our excellent producers tiffany mcclennan and sam pufek and you of course our listeners for tuning in if you have any comments or suggestions for the show, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us at podcast at higheredstrategy.com. Join us next week when our guest will be Marion Lloyd. She's a higher education researcher at Universidad Nacional Autonoma de Mexico. And she'll be joining us to talk about that institution's unique form of rectoral elections, which are coming to a head in early November. Bye for now. The World of Higher Education podcast is a Higher Education Strategy Associates production, produced by Tiffany McLennan and Samantha Pufek, hosted by Alex Usher, music by T. Bless and the Professionals. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Hold up. 